We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. feel like Kobe in the fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast coming at you. What is it? Is it Wednesday night? The Timberwolves just lost, I guess that's what you could call it, to the Sacramento Kings 128 to 125. It was really just a fumbling of the game at the end there. I am extremely grateful to not need to be doing a solo podcast um, on that topic. I'm joined by my brother of the suck on the Sacramento Kings beat, Brendan Nunez. He uh, writes for the Kings Herald and hosts the Kings Pulse podcast. Brendan, what the what the hell happened at the end of that game? I don't think either team wanted to win this game, Dane. <laughs> um, did, I mean, seriously, did the, did the Kings actually want to win that? Like, are you at all yeah. like, ooh, we won a game? Well, I think the the team does um <laughs> and i answered the question earlier today you know do i want them to win games and if you ask me when a game's not happening i'll say no i think that yeah, i right, want right, them right. to up their odds but i can't help when i'm watching the game i'm gonna root for them um sure. so yes yeah, so no i i think sadly both of these games were the kings trying um <laughs> and the wolves are also trying too. Yeah. by the way they they, they try so it's 
it's a sad state of affairs that this was two games on back-to-back -back days of two teams trying to win, and it just doesn't look like it with what transpires on the floor. Yeah, it, it kind of felt like the team that was um, really putting more of an emphasis on pace won both of the games to me. Sure. Um, and, you know, it's definitely Sacramento side, like, you know, worst defensive rating. I know Minnesota's the worst since they hired Chris Finch, right? Um, right. And transition defense is the worst part of that. So, I, it, you know, it makes sense to take advantage of that. And obviously from the offense point of view for Sacramento, they have fastest player in the league. Transition offense should be a staple for them, even though it hasn't been at times this year. Um, and I thought that was upped a lot in the second game. And, and obviously some – shots were just follow falling as well um especially that first quarter and then in the fourth so let me ask you about the transition defense thing and, and you and i we're not going to linger too long on this specific game and we want to feel like the the more evergreen topics here that we overlap on are obviously that anthony edwards versus tyrese halliburton rookie of the year sort of looming thing there um that as you just brought up this this terrible defense of both of the franchises and then just they're like overarching beyond this year dysfunctional nature of both the franchise so we'll hit on all that but but the transition defense yeah like if you turn on a king's game you turn on a wolves game and you're not a a fan i think of either of these teams you watch them and you go just what what the hell is happening when the when the other team has the ball and they are trying to go transition into offense the defense is just not there i mean it's been a thing for both of our teams this entire year where there's just this inability to sort of match up. And I think I'm at the point of being like, okay, we're 60 games into this season. Like at what point is incompetent transition defense just like not acceptable? Why, at what point can you be like, you're not that young anymore. You shouldn't be this bad anymore. I mean, it's been the same thing for the Kings, right? Yeah. Or it's like, you know, there were four guys lined up at the three point line and then there was Josh Akogi and Akogi beat everyone down the floor. And it's like, right. how is that acceptable? And first it, you're De'Aaron Fox. You're the fastest guy in the league. Why did he beat you down the floor? Um, yeah. I, I think that from Sacramento's point of view, a lot of, I think their defensive issues have to do with accountability. Um, and there's multiple places that could come from, but I think what it comes down to is it doesn't seem like that's coming from anywhere really. So, okay, so obviously that's a, you know, shots fired at Luke Walton. But, you know, we did that in the Wolves world for a long time with Ryan Saunders. He eventually was fired. But I was always kind of in the mind that, like, accountability, yes, it comes from your coach, but it also comes from, from your best player. And I think Wolves fans have wrestled with that with Cat. What's the, like, what's the feeling on that with De'Aaron Fox, who is, like, their best player and where you would assume that accountability comes from is it more of a Harrison Barnes thing I mean I don't hear people point to Rubio like what's the kind of leadership pecking order there yeah uh Fox is definitely this year and last year been regarded as the leader of the team obviously and you know all the off-court stuff inviting guys over and clearly the head honcho of the team he's best player um and you've seen him be more aggressive and kind of demanding the ball taking over games at times this year but I think it's kind of a personality thing like I, I and I don't know Fox personally but there's not like this fire to him when he's on the court necessarily right. and I don't think that outside of Rashawn Holmes um, that the Kings really have that and even with Holmes 
it, it doesn't seem to be infectious for some reason. There's nobody to get on another player for missing a rotation, which is happening left and right. And it's kind of hard for anyone to do that when every single player. They're all doing that. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think, you know, that ideally it would be from both your best player and your coach. You know, like I said, I think it can come from multiple different places. Um, but I, I don't think that Fox and, you know, I, maybe there's a development that happens there. But at this point, I don't see Fox as the guy that's like completely rallying the troops and, and getting everybody to get all their um, everything straight and, and things like that. And sure. Engaged really just defensively. So I, I feel like the problem in, in Minnesota is, is that like when you do ask the players about this stuff, like they they point to Ricky as like the you know, the, the leader of the team. And I mean, I, I don't know what the Kings, but I, I feel like there's like a, I mean, Barnes is better, but there's kind of a, a Barnes Rubio parallel right there where they're the more veteran player, um, but they're not the best player on the team. You know, HB is like higher in the pecking order in Sacramento than mm -hmm. Ricky is, but it seems like this, it seems like this crossroads that the, that the Wolves hit where they look to Ricky to be, that guy to hold people accountable yet he's not good enough and and you know i i'm sure maybe a lot of teams go through this sort of thing with young developing stars as you know the wolves are with cat and fox where like can you how old is fox 23 i believe 23 yeah yeah so it's like to what extent can you like can you plan on that can you expect that guy to be the all-knowing, the leader, the accountable one. Like, I don't know why this is coming to my head, but I think about, like, the Chicago Bulls in the Derrick Rose days, right? Like, maybe that's a decent, like, Fox comparison. Obviously, Rose was kind of on a higher level then. But, like, in getting to know Derrick Rose a little bit when he was here in Minnesota, like, D. Rose wasn't the guy who, who I'm sure when he was 21, 22 years old, when the MVP, that was, like, the leader in the Bulls locker room. You know, they had their Luol Dangs, their Taj Gibsons, their Carlos Boozers. Those guys were the ones, you know, holding people accountable. And, and I think we're just kind of, like, moved to this point in roster development of teams at the level of the Wolves and the Kings, you know, in the lottery, where they just go, like, you know, we just need to develop young guys. Like we're 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 getting the young team together. We're moving in this right direction, and they totally, maybe not totally, but like largely dismiss the idea of veteran leadership and like kind of giving someone there to to help. And I don't know what the, I don't know what that balance is. It just seems like something that both the Kings and the Wolves kind of lack. I mean, Rubio's the oldest player on the team. He's thirty. You know, like you could still say he's in his like quote unquote prime. Like you need a couple of out of their prime guys who are like, hey, I've been here before. Like this is actually how you do it, even if you're on a crappy team. Yeah, I think the interesting mold is Phoenix, right? And CP3 is is an outlier situation, obviously. But I think even the other guys that they brought in, and obviously again, CP3 is like the most impactful piece there. But you look at like. Jay Crowder, Langston Galloway. I think of like a PJ Tucker type guy. Yeah. Um, Mo Harkless seems to be bringing some sort of energy just, just so the Kings aren't a pushover um, on a night to night basis. I don't know if you saw there was this Chemezi Metu Jonas Valanciunas thing, right? It, uh, mm -hmm. Metu dumped on him. Valanciunas 
grabbed him and threw him off the rim all WWE yeah. style. Not a single king like ran up to anyone or stood yeah, up for Metu in happened. any sort of way. Same thing happened in Minnesota last year when uh, Jared Culver dunked on Robin Lopez and Robin Lopez literally like chased him up the floor like a dinosaur. And, and I remember like t- tweeting it at the moment being like, yo, somebody's got to like come in here right. and the dinosaur is attacking your rookie. Like you got to come in here and yeah, I, I'm totally with you. I, I think that stuff is, is real. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, you can get some of that type of energy from fifth, sixth, the best guys on a team sort yeah. of, but yeah, I mean, to, to fully cement a culture, I think, you know, like maybe, I, I, the big, the big change for Sacramento is going to have to be coaching. And I think that, and, and whatever draft pick they, they bring in, but we'll, we'll get into those details a little later, I'm sure. Um, but I think that, you know, you have to hope that the coaching also influences a change in leadership from Fox Halliburton, whatever guy they may bring in as well. Right. No, that's, I guess. And the wolves are already like another step down the line in that with having, you know, brought in their next Luke Walton or their, their Luke Walton replacement. And hopefully, and hopefully not the next Luke Walton. <laughs> yeah, right. no, it's, it, it's weird because you sometimes I, I, I think about this and I thought about it with, with Finch when he came in where I'm like, how profound of an impact can this even have? Like what, what does a coach do, <laughs> you know, at, at the end of the day. And I think, I think the conclusion I'm kind of coming to is like a coach can change your identity, but he can't change how good your players are, which is like a, which is kind of a, I mean, and you know, there's some gray area here in context, but you, you can put your players in the right spots or different spots, but it's on them to become better at defense. It's on them to, you know, make the right decision of the pass or shoot to whatever, what they're running and I think that's what we are seeing in Minnesota is, as you said, like the Wolves are even worse at defense now under Chris Finch than they were under Ryan Saunders. But at the same time, they feel like they're moving. They've moved directions at least because they are playing a completely different style of play with a different identity in that they're playing faster and everything that they're doing yet that the counting numbers still line up the same. So, when you think about the Kings and they're and again at a similar spot to where the Wolves were a couple months ago, like what's the right identity shift to make when your team is this bad at defense and still on the younger side? I think that they're a really good offense this year, and I think that you can focus on that um, and just be a top eight top 10 offense that really runs through primarily De'Aaron Fox and um, in secondary actions, Tyrese Halliburton Fox has taken uh, again, a huge leap this year. Um, And, but I I don't know. It's tough because, you know, night to night basis, you're doing the same thing here is I I don't know how to sit here and, and critique the team without being like, well, they should have just actually played defense tonight um, on a night to night basis. So that needs to be there, you know, um, to an extent, but I, I, I'm I'm not really sure what I think the identity should be. I think that there definitely should be a high pace to the roster, but I think that mm-hmm. the, the easiest way to have a high pace is to be able to get stops on the defensive end of the floor. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, I would think ideally you have 
a offense that is completely revolved around De'Aaron Fox, which means three or four other shooters around him. Um, and then a, a pesky defense that at least forces a lot of turnovers. Right. That's what the Wolves are kind of trying to do. Like they went from being the most conservative defense under Saunders, just, you know, drop scheme. You do exactly this. You do exactly that. Their, their whole slogan was solid is enough defensively was, was their whole, and the whole idea was like, well, we'll let them take the mid range shots because those are like, you know, analytically sound. And if we're just solid, like in the aggregate, this will lead to a competent defensive rating overall. And it's completely shifted to chaos, like intentional chaos. This It's this scramble style where it's hard to really even point to, like, for years under Saunders, you could be like, the Wolves do X, Y, and Z defensively. With the Under Finch, they're just like, all right, we don't have a set plan. Your only job responsibility is to be completely chaotic like the wolves would never put three guys at a ball screen action like they weren't they would never like tag a roller now they're like well you know throw three guys out of code throw four guys out of it so looked long like as they were over tag and you scramble yeah yeah right i mean they they for sure are i think that's like the the plan and it's really it's weird because i would say i'm curious and we'll get into maybe transition this into Halliburton and ant like like ant seems to more be more comfortable in that chaotic style defensively. Like he wants to play the passing lanes. He wants to do that. He doesn't want to be stringently in, you know, pick and roll coverage and doing these sort of things. It just doesn't really register with him. And I would say from like, you know, a thousand miles away with Halliburton, he seems to me like more of a defensive player that would maybe have more success in structure. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I think so. I think that, um, you know, you see a lot of him even just baiting passes just so he can steal them. Um, yeah, I think he's more ideal in a half court um, and structured defense, like you're saying. He he really excels off ball as a disruptor um, and, and playmaker there. But I think on ball, currently, he is totally getting attacked there. Um, he's just too thin. Um, it's so crazy how it's the inverse. Yeah, with I think it's inverse for most guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, it's just, I think it's just Halliburton's IQ shining on that end of the floor as well. So we haven't even like texted or, or, or talked about this at all. So I'm not even, I'm not even really sure. Like if you're about to like come from the high ropes of like Halliburton should for sure be the rookie of the year or where, where you're even at on, on all of that. I personally don't have like a super strong opinion one way or the other of, of how the rookie of the year mm-hmm. sort of goes. I think it's, I think it's like all awards. I think it's more interesting and in like, as like an intellectual, intellectual activity of, you know, what are you seeing? What do you, what are you seeing on the floor? What are you seeing in the stats? And like, how do you, you know, how do you line this all up? So for you who like me is live in a content sewer of Kings basketball this is obviously a, a, a topic that I'm sure you've, you know, you've, you've thought through where just, where just generally are you at with Halliburton and, and what he's been able to do this year and how do you think he has or hasn't distinguished himself from the other best players in this rookie class? Coming into the year, he was obviously a high floor, low ceiling label on him. And I think that, um, I've struggled with separating from that 
but mm-hmm. some of the space creation and shooting off the dribble that was completely unexpected has made me question Holy. what his ceiling really is. Um, I, I've been saying for a while, like the Kings need a number two guy next to Fox, you know, or one B next to Fox. Um, and now I'm kind of like, maybe there's a world where Halliburton is that guy. Um, right. But I um, do think that right now, if you're talking compared to the other rookies, he just doesn't quite have the volume or minutes to put up big time numbers. He's definitely just prefers to be a pass first player, um, which is part of what makes Halliburton the great player that he is. Um, but he's not going to go out there. I think he broke 30 once this year, which I can't say I ever expected that to happen this season. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that um, there is you know, moments where teams are hiding their worst defender on Halliburton. Um, and he's just not a guy to, you know, isolate and break somebody down. Like you've seen it a couple times throughout the year, um, but it, it would be more, I, I feel like he should, like Yuta Watanabe is guarding him. You should probably be able to break that guy down off the dribble. Um, and, and he dunk just, dunk on him. Right. Right, right, right. I didn't even, that was unintentional, actually. Um, Yeah, that's funny. Um, Yeah, so I I just think that Halliburton is, to to me, I view Halliburton as an elite role player. And I think that you're seeing him be able to do that early in his career because obviously he's an extremely high feel, high IQ player um, that just seems to be, you know, two steps ahead of whatever play is going on at the moment. Um, and, and yeah, you know, a sister turnover, like he doesn't make very many mistakes, but he's not exactly like winning you games often either. Right. Let, let's take a, I, I want, let's go into the whole LaMelo part of it and, and compare, I, I wrote down all the stats of, of the stuff between Halliburton and Edwards, but let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and, and discuss this. I'm not sure about you, but I'm taking a rain check on spring cleaning this year. Freshening up for the season with comfort instead with some sheets, with some towels, some loungewear, and more from Brooklinen. And with their birthday sale happening this weekend, Brooklinen is offering site-wide savings on all things comfort for their biggest sale of the year. Brooklinen was founded by husband and wife duo Rich and Vicky with the goal to create beautiful luxury home essentials at prices that don't break the bank. By working directly with manufacturers, they ensure premium, high-quality comfort every time and at a fraction of the retail price. That means ridiculously soft bedding, towels, and loungewear. Brooklinen is so confident you'll love everything. They will give you a 365-day warranty. They've even got 75,000 five-star reviews. It's hard to argue with that. Get everything you need for a fresh spring during Brooklinen's biggest sale of the year. Shop Brooklinen's birthday sale going on this weekend. And if you're listening to this podcast after the sale ends, don't worry. You can still go to brooklinen.com and use promo code MORE, my last name, to get $20 off any purchase of $100 or more. That's brooklinen.com and enter the promo code MORE to get $20 off any purchase of $100 or more. Brooklinen, everything you need to live your most comfortable life. All right, Brendan, so I think like the... The big question when you talk about voting for rookie of the year is like, what are you, what are we talking about here? Like, what what is, what are the criteria for, for being a rookie of the year? And I think 
the best way to start framing the case for Anthony Edwards is that the Rookie of the Year award is, is an award that signals the player from this class who's most likely to become a star in this league. And everything that obviously you just said with Halliburton, I think anybody who's watched him is is kind of in this place where they're like, All right, this dude's for sure a long-time starter role player in the league. Maybe that 1B thing could happen. With Ant, you at least have this outline of like, the star player outline is there. Can he color it in? Can the Wolves color it in? You know? And, and, and to that end, which I feel like has typically been the way the award has been handed out is to is to those guys who who look like future stars it seems like ant would have a leg up on Halliburton there do you feel like that's the the right way to look at the award if you had a vote yeah i guess that, that's... i don't think it is i don't i don't think it is i'm just saying that's the like i i like to view it more like most valuable player but i think that's the the way a lot of voters look at it yeah, I mean, I probably go off who's the best player this season, but I I do That's think totally fair. I, I do think that the, I mean, most of the time I'm doing this exercise, I feel like I'm more so predicting rather than saying who I think my guy is, which are probably the same thing this year. Um, but I would say you know like the amount of forty point games you're throwing up or highlight reels that you make are, are clearly factoring into this. You know, like I, I don't know that they necessarily should. Um, but I think that they do. Um, and I, every one of the players has their flashiness to them, but I think Ant and Lamelo are clearly the more like typical flashiness rather than no look passes that you're seeing from Tyrese Halliburton every once in a while and things like that. Or, um, yeah, I mean, nice steals where he's bending opposing offenses in weird ways and things like this. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, earlier in the year to me, it was clearly, Tyrese and LaMelo as the one, two race, but the way ants come around recently, um, I, I probably do put Tyrese third. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, I, I think it's LaMelo's award unless ants goes crazy, um, throughout the rest of the season. If LaMelo comes back and stinks it up or something like that. But to me, it, it so right now the mind that 41 games is enough. 41 games is enough for LaMelo. I think so. I, I think if he comes back a I little bit, I, I think so because he was clearly the best. He was clearly the leader for that award to me when he went out. And where I'm at on it is I think if this were a normal year, um, I I wouldn't say 41 is enough or whatever that's going to end up shaking out to be like 60% of the season. Like I, that, I probably would just rule that player out. But the factor of, you know, obviously all the COVID stuff, but I, I think a big thing when we're talking about rookie of the year or MVP or whatever is this condensed nature of the season and, and the way that is just going to like grind on professional basketball players, even if they are 19 years old, like I, I'm, I'm much more willing to like lower my bar for, for what that number is. And I, as, just as the season has kind of gone on and I'm like, oh my God, the Wolves play five games again this week. Like you're like, it, it, it just, it started to click in my head that we can, we can adjust accordingly here. And if that's the case, I think we both agree. Anybody, you know, if LaMelo is eligible, he's the rookie of the year. The, if he's not, which 
you know, I would say probably a lot of the voters will rule him out because historically, you know, 60% of the games isn't enough to qualify you for an award. So if they cross him out, then it becomes between Ant and Halliburton. And I remember when the Wolves played the Kings about three weeks ago, I did this whole thing after that game where I, I went through all the numbers and I was like, at this point, it's Tyrese Halliburton's. And the way that I would argue for Ant, at that point, he was probably like 20 games into the Finch era, maybe 90. Yeah, something that sounds about right. Maybe, maybe 15. I was like, if he takes the next 20 games and does what he has done under Finch already, then now we're just talking about a lot more volume at a, at a higher efficiency. Basically just a way of saying, how, what can we do to make the first 20 games of the season when Ant was terribly inefficient matter less? And I think he's getting to the point where the first 19 games of the year where he came off the bench and when he came off the bench was missing like crazy. That's seeming to be less of a stain on, on his resume. And, and I think at the, I'm at this point, if I had a vote and wasn't voting for LaMelo, I think I would now go with Ant over Halliburton. I think I would too. And it's because Halliburton is trending downwards because of Dude, he his, totally is. because of his coaching probably. Um, I mean, he's not really getting minutes. He played 15 minutes against Dallas. Um, for what the hell? Who knows why? Mo Harkless is starting over him now. Um, who who knows if Mo Harkless is on the team next year? Um, probably not. Probably not. Um, yeah. So you know Halliburton just getting a little less opportunity. He's not getting as many minutes alongside Fox, which is right. just uh, I don't know. There's so many things that don't make sense with. Uh, <laughs> I'll just say yeah with with Sacramento this season. Um, Wait, can I can I read off their post All Star numbers? Yeah, please. Both of them. All right. So Edwards is playing thirty five minutes a night. Halliburton is playing twenty nine and a half minutes a night. Edwards is scoring twenty four points per game. Halliburton's scoring twelve points per game. Edwards is averaging five boards a game. Halliburton's averaging two boards a game. Edwards is averaging three assists. Halliburton's averaging four point six assists. They're about the same with steals one and a half. Ant is shooting 50.2% from two. Halliburton is shooting 48.1% from two. Ant is shooting 35% from three. Halliburton is shooting 37% from three. True shooting, they're about the same. And Ant's usage is 28.5%. Halliburton's is 17. So the whole... That's Ant. That's clearly it. Yeah, I mean, it's only been like 20 four games since the All-Star break. So that's not, you know, that's not the whole season, but it's the case for Halliburton was that, okay, yeah, your volume's lower, but your, your, his shooting percentages were way, way higher. Like were way, way higher. He was before the All-Star break, he was shooting like, what, like 57% from two, 44% from three. Like it, it was right. I mean, if you were somebody who valued efficiency at all, it was hard to make a case for Edwards because we're at this point where like, well, is this even valuable if it's at high volume? Like, I don't even know. Is this like a net neutral? Like Halliburton was clearly a plus, clearly, clearly a plus and at decent volume, like shooting five twos and five threes a game. The case to make against Edwards 
is obviously defensive. And I was at the point at the beginning of the year not watching as much of the Kings where I was kind of like, oh, no, like Hal Burton, like Hal Burton's a solid defender. But as I, you know, listened to you or like read some more stuff, I'm like Hal Burton actually isn't like a solid defender yet, is he? No. Like I said, I, I think <laughs> I think he is off ball for sure. I, I think he's really ahead of the curve off ball. Um, on ball, totally could get attacked. I think he could get targeted for sure. Um, and and I think again, I think it's just Halliburton IQ is where the off ball is going to shine, um, and the athleticism and frame that Ant has is going to shine more on ball. Right. I mean, it is still clear. I should say this that Halliburton, even if he isn't average defensively he's still about a mile ahead of ant yeah in terms of i think defensive impact because the the only time when i'm watching halbert the only times he's directly negatively impactful is when someone isolates on him which doesn't and seem to happen too often that's what i was going to say like how many possessions even is that a game yeah and even i think uh game one of this back-to-back there were a couple possessions i think delo tried to target him back-to-back in a switch and and one of them he even ripped it from delo to get the other end so right. he has okay possessions on ball yeah well and he's smart enough to understand that like right. delo's not trying to he understands what delo's game is that was the sense i got where delo's trying to He's trying to get you out of position. He's trying to get a rip through to get a foul. He's trying to get you to jump on a pump fake. He's trying to get you leaning, right? right. And that's not a problem with Halbert. Like, he clearly gets it. The problem is, is if he gets, has to guard a guy. I mean, how much is Halbert even weigh? Like, 180? Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I have 185. Yeah, I, maybe. Yeah, that, right, like. right. <laughs> so, so that's, he's going to get, you know, it'd be interesting to see. Like, the the best way to expose these things is a playoff series, right? Like, what if... I don't know what that what is, Dane. Yeah, I mean, well, me <laughs> <laughs> It's like, I, I, I'd be super curious to see, you know, in a seven-game series, how the opposing team would chess match Edwards or Halliburton defensively. Because you know, what we've learned, and having watched the playoffs, not with our teams in them, is that, like, that becomes such a you know tectonic shift of how the series is work guys get played off the floor even top guys on their teams like Halliburton and Edwards are and I would just I think teams would ruthlessly attack both of their defensive weaknesses right now and you would wonder how much you know Walton or Finch would even be able to stick with them over the over the course of a of a seven game series right yeah, I, I mean, I think that there's not many other options, so you probably yeah, would have to stick with them. Um, and, you know, I think you could find, I don't know, I guess, I guess there's a lot of crazy backcourts in, in the Western Conference specifically, but, you know, ideally you could find a guy to hide them on. Tonight, Halliburton was hiding on a, a Kogi for a while, and uh, yeah, so I, I think, you know, there's there's moments you can... But, but th- that's the thing, right? Like... These teams are the Wolves and Kings both have like their eyes on being playoff teams next year. Like, I mm. think that's the expectation of both of their front offices and coaching staffs next season. So, we're talking about 12 months from now that they are in a playoff series and they are playing a backcourt that doesn't have Josh Akogi in it or doesn't have right. DeLon Wright in it. You know, like, this is going to come for them. Like, eventually, 
what is going to determine how impactful they are when like the money's on the line is what they are able to do, you know, defensively. And that's why like we, we focus on all this stuff and maybe for rookie of the year, like it's the numbers. I read you, I read off like 10 offensive numbers to you. Like in an actual basketball game, it's not half the game. I mean, offense is more than half the game, but like it's still 30, 40% of the game to be able to, you know, competently be able to be relied on. And I think it's a, I think it's going to be a big concern for both of these players once they do get in the playoffs next year or the year after that, whenever that might be. Yeah, I, I think it probably will be. I, I still do think that Halliburton has many moments in each game where he's a positive impact on the defensive end of the floor with that playmaking that I talked about and, and just being in multiple places, um, staying in passing lanes really well and, and and just understanding rotations. He had a game this year of, I think three blocks, um, which is super weird for a guy his size, but just shows kind of his understanding on proper place to be um, on the defensive end. But yeah, like we talked about, I mean, um, I I think the slenderness to him could totally get attacked and maybe there's a world where he puts on a little bit of weight and doesn't just get absolutely bullied and ran over on the way to the rim. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I mean, could totally be an issue for, a good portion of his career. Um, but I, I think ideally, you know, you have a center to kind of clean up for it a little bit. Well, that's what I want to get into next. So we're, we're both, we're both in agreement that as of right now, our rookie of the year ballots go Lamella one and two Halliburton three. Yeah. So to the, somebody helping at the rim point, like that is the crossroads of, you know, I, I think both the Timberwolves and the Kings offseason is just this notion that you're not making the playoffs unless you improve drastically on the defensive end. And and that draws, you know, great like really draws into question the current construct of both your rosters, you know, from obviously the presence of, you know, Buddy Heald is similar to the presence of D'Angelo Russell on this team and and you just kind of have some of these guys that you're just like, well, they're not going to be net positives defensively next year for sure. So if we're not going to totally disassemble our core, like what, what even is the path to being able to make in, in terms of roster construction, I know you're going to say Luke Walton, but like in terms of roster construction, how do you go about like jumping the Kings? Let's just call the Kings and the Wolves tied for the worst defenses in the league. How do, how do either of these teams go from 30th to 15th on defense in a season by adjusting their roster. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like you, there's, there's good defensive lineups they can roll out there right now. Um, But they just have to genuinely care and lock in like Fox and Barnes are the two guys to me where I'm like, those are good defenders. I just don't think they care every single night. Like Devin Booker this year, right? You're seeing a big defensive jump because he's able to, put energy and care about that end of the floor and have less of an offensive burden. I think Fox is totally that same guy. Like I think there's a good defender in Fox. He's just got too many offensive responsibilities right now. And he's not locked in on a night to night basis, which is a problem in its own. Um, But I think that. So is the answer then just like you need a Chris Paul to like get you to care. Potentially. I I do think that is a big part of it. Um, And I, I mean, 
I know you said personnel, but like schematically, they're switching everything in the most lazy way possible. <laughs> and it, it just doesn't. And the switch everything made some sense with Holmes because Holmes is, is good on the perimeter. But it's like, okay, you don't have Holmes. Hassan Whiteside is your starting center tonight. You're still going to switch everything? Like we're wow. we're really we're really have Hassan Whiteside guarding D'Lo on the perimeter right now. Is that is that what's happening? Um, so I I do think it's a little bit of that. And really though, um, it, it feels rough to say, but like Bagley going down, I, I do think helped the team this year. Um, I, I don't think that oh, man. the offensive impact that he makes, even though he did take steps there, um, you know, coming into the year, it was like, okay, well, how's he going to do anything without? demanding uh, a bunch of touches and things like that. And I thought he was, he grew into being able to let the game come to him on the offensive end of the floor and put numbers up that way, but he's still a horrible, horrible, horrible defender. And so is Buddy Heald. And you can't roll out two horrible defenders at the same time, Um, especially when your other guys are average, subpar, whatever you want to call it. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I do think that, um, kind of if you have a reasonable shooter obviously not the same level of buddy heel but you sacrifice some of the shooting that healed gets you in exchange for a bit more defense i think would actually be really valuable for this roster um i don't know that that's something they can do this off season um which i mean part of the reason that sacramento's in such a weird spot they're gonna be in the tax probably or not in the tax sorry um over the cap this off season so if they're their methods of improving the roster itself is really just the draft, like in the MLE. Right. So same. Yeah. And you the Wolves just, don't just even draft sure. Evan Mobley, I guess is the All answer. Right. Well, okay. So that, that's what I'm, you know, kind of getting to whether it's Mobley or whether it's in the trade market. I, I'm, I'm just in my head doing this whole thing of how do you jump from 30th to 15th in defense? Like what is, is there a way with one move to make that big of a leap. And, and I think like what I've been talking about on the podcast is the single most impactful defensive position is rim protector. If you, if you, if you put on, I mean, obviously a completely hypothetical, but you put Rudy Gobert on the Kings or you put Rudy Gobert on the Timberwolves, you do make that jump because of how impactful that, you know, that rim defense is. So I, in my mind, if that is the, the goal of your team, is, is to make that leap. I think for both the Kings and for the Wolves, you got to think about trying to find an elite rim protector who is also a two-way player. Like a player, I, I think like the cliche classic guy here is Miles Turner, right? You know, you get an elite rim protector. He's also going to give you a little bit offensively, like he's going to make above league, league average on his catch and shoot threes. He's, he does, you know, he does both things. And it's a weird, I mean, it's a weird predicament for the Wolves, but I think also for the Kings, if we hypothetically like put Turner on either of these teams is like, well, what does your front court look like then? You know, like for the Wolves, now you're shifting Cat to the four, which I think they're starting to play him there. I mean, he's guarding Barnes in these, in mm-hmm. these Kings games. Like he can do it. And then for the Kings, you like you Harrison Barnes is like your four here. You have other like stretch four. Like your roster isn't really constructed in a way to have two bigs. 
Monte McNair comes from Houston. You know, right. Person Rosas comes from Houston. Like they're not traditionally front offices that are going to prioritize that small sort of thing. So is it even is it even possible for the Kings, I guess, to go and get like an elite rim protector on this team? And would that do you feel like that would be meaningful in the context of that team? I mean, it is notable that like I think part of the reason Holmes has felt so good for this team and I think his defense has been overrated because of who his replacement centers have yeah. been. It's like there's this whole thing. We talk about it all the time. Center is the <laughs> most replaceable. <laughs> yeah, right. Center is the most replaceable position in the league. No, yet man. we have Chemezi Metu and Hassan Whiteside as our center rotation. Chris Silva, um, Willie Cauley Stein yeah, last Damian year. Jones. Yeah, Damian Jones, who won the game tonight, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah. It, there was Willie Cauley Stein last year. Harry Giles. Um, love Giles, but just not. not a good defender he's a bad defender um so i do think that like just getting a serviceable defensive backup center would be really valuable for this team um but there didn't you like kind of try and do that like with white like i i'm at this point where it's like there's a difference between i know white side sucks yeah but like okay so let's do like a better one let's say like daniel tice Mm. right like the i'm sure kingsland and Wolvesland are going to be lusting over the idea of adding Daniel Tice this summer. But it's not the same thing to bring in Daniel Tice as it is to bring in Miles Turner. Because we're kind of talking about a backup or a low-level you know, starting center. You're not, you're not bringing in Daniel Tice to the Kings of the Wolves and jumping your team from 30th to 15th on defense. The way you do that is bringing in an elite, in theory, is an elite rim protector and so that's why I think I would push back on the idea that's like, okay, we just bring in like a guy to be Holmes' backup. Like, I think you're talking about, all right, now we move from 30th to 25th, something like that. Yeah. Am I wrong? I, I look at, so I just look at like Charlotte, 16th in defense. And the rim protectors there are extremely sure. subpar. Like, that is the clear weakness to that roster. And they have wing defenders that I think Sacramento would absolutely give anything to have um cleveland like took a huge leap this year and that's probably jared allen right um yep he would he would fit this turner he does hypothetical thing um why didn't the kings or the wolves go get him when he right was that there? was yeah yeah I, I can't tell you how much i think about that um <laughs> yeah so uh, i don't know I, I do i do think you're right and i think that um this is probably gonna be an issue until they just I don't know. I guess you don't really stumble upon one of these big men. Um, but I, I don't know with the, with the market that they have. Sometimes I think sometimes you can find um, some hidden gems. So I don't know. I guess that's where so I just don't think that's going to be enough, man. I don't think that's gonna be enough for either of these teams. If we just do like the Nerlens Noel thing. Mm-hmm. And Nerlens Noel has been awesome in, you know, in New York. I just, if the leap needs to be massive, like the quality of, the defender you bring in needs to be massive. And I'm just starting to like, I'm starting to really believe it has to be a center. Like I look at what happened in Portland, like Portland is theoretically like three evolutions ahead of where the Kings and the Wolves are, right? Where it's this awesome offense needing to improve defensively. They put all their, all their everything this off season into acquiring, acquiring, Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr. They give up two firsts for Covington. They use their full mid-level, all they had to use 
on Derek Jones Jr. Because they're like, we suck at defense. Let's just bring in three and D guys. This is the answer. Like, this is how you fix defense in the NBA. And it's like, no. Actually, the three worst teams in defensive rating this season are the Timberwolves 28th, the Blazers 29th, and the Kings 30th. You, yeah. If your core players are not high-level defenders like Dame and CJ and Nurk aren't, or like Fox and Heald and Bagley aren't, and like Cat and D'Lo and Ant aren't, like... You're not, you, you can't put a Covington Band-Aid over. The Wolves have literally tried that. Right. It doesn't work. Like, I think we've gotten to this point where we were just overrate 3 and D guys as fixers to defenses. I think they, I think they boost good defenses to great defenses. They don't make bad defenses good defenses, right. if that makes sense. Yeah, I think, like... Corey Joseph was a smaller example of that. Like I thought he could sure. be a cog of a good defense, but he looked horrible in Sacramento. Um, because I, when you're a mile away, man, you need a you don't need a bicycle. Right. <laughs> you need an airplane. Yeah, and, and right. I think that Portland is probably more of the you know mold that you're talking when it comes to the Kings. You know, elite backcourt or ideally um, mm-hmm. elite backcourt that you're working with offensively and. You just try to fill it out with a three, four, five that's impressive on the defensive end of the floor. Um, and it just run your entire offense through those two key guys. I mean, I, I do just look at Fox Halliburton, really, if you're talking like long term future of this team, I, I do kind of think like that's the whole core and mm-hmm. the way I that. <laughs> I didn't even say what I was reading off in my head, oh, the Kings score, but you're it is right. What it is. Yeah. They're confusing. <laughs> I think that those guys, I, I think that that can be your one, two on a, like, like we're talking about, you know, 15th defense in the league. Um, but it, it is obviously difficult to get those surrounding guys. But I think if, if we were talking a, you know, this is a kind situation, I guess, but say it was Harrison Barnes, Jonathan Kuminga, Daniel Tice, right. like, you know, there's, something there there's there's a path to improving your defense so let's end on this like what like how how much is is on the line for the kings and similarly for the wolves to like get one of these top five guys like how much does that drastically change the outlook of either of these franchises if they're able to land a cunningham suggs mobley cunningham kaminga or whatever, you know what I'm talking about, the top, yeah. one of the top five guys. I mean, I, I think it's going to be huge for any team in the league, really. Uh, I think the top five is really good, specifically top four. I have Kuminga as like the clear fifth to me, even though I, I mm-hmm. love Kuminga, don't get me wrong. Um, but I, I think, you know, going into this year, it was, you know, McNair had labeled it or it came out that he labeled it as a gap year. Um, and it seems like the last year where it's probably acceptable to quote unquote tank. Um, mm-hmm. with, you know, Halliburton coming into his own. Fox is starting that max contract next year. Um, you're still sitting on a full cap sheet. Um, so this seemed like the last acceptable year to do that. Um, and you just clearly need a second guy. I mean, I, I, ideally, I think you would get a guy better than Fox, obviously. Right, um, that's what I was going to say. Right, and Fox would be your number two. Um, although the jump that Fox has taken this year, I do think that Fox could be a number one, actually, uh, offensively. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, and super, super important for that to happen for this team. And um, I think that 
the idea is that once you have that trio core that you kind of, you know, I, I think they end up in a spot where they're just like the sixth seed for in, until there's a move that McNair can jump on and, you know, put all his assets together to try to jump on I, something. I that, know, I know that I know that line, man. We, it's the same thing. It's it's the that, which that it's you're not wrong. It's the Rockets thing. Yeah, right. No, it's the. I mean, that's what the Rockets did. And you sit around, you wait with your net, yeah. and you try and catch the Harden once they, you know, try and force their way out of whatever their situation is right. having the CD3. You know, having the sure, yeah, yeah. having the the assets to be able to, you know, to do so, and it's just. I, from the Wolves' perspective, like they only have a forty percent chance of keeping their pick, even if they are yeah. in the top three, which is a whole other level, like of uh, depression in the in the situation in Minnesota. But it does like it's crazy here how much that changes like the options you have to do because I, I think I think a lot of people in the like the vision is going to be if you get one of these top five picks, like you know you take them and now you have a good shot at having your future number two guy, maybe your future number one guy. Like this is a class where if you have a top five guy that you can, you know, really do that. But there is always the other side of the coin, right? Which is like, you could trade it, you know, what does, you know, what does that look like? I mean, maybe that's a, maybe in Sacramento, that doesn't, you know, make that much sense, but there's a world in Minnesota where that makes some sense where you're like, well, we got Cat and D'Lo who are going to be 26. Like, we bring in a Mobley, we bring in a Suggs or Cunningham or 19. Like, this doesn't, you know, totally line up. Is there any of that in Sacramento, or you, it's basically just take the guy and plug him in? Yeah, I don't think quite yet, just because Fox is still young. Hal Burton's in his rookie year. So I think it's just a little bit of a timeline, uh, a little earlier in that timeline from Sacramento's point of view. And, and Fox, sure. you know, the impression I get is that he totally wants to be the leader, number one guy on a team. And this is where he's going to get to do that. Like it doesn't, it doesn't feel like there's pressure from Fox to like make it happen right now, which I'm sure if they were just, you know, a bottom five, bottom eight team for the next two years that we would get to that point. Um, or it wouldn't surprise me or anything like that. But yeah, I mean, I think that uh, they can be a little bit more patient and develop guys i would think that you know if you're if you're concerned which i feel like is probably what it would be is you know fox demanding a trade i think that if the what say it was a top five pick in this draft class he wasn't impacting winning right away but he had like very clear flashes i think fox would be able Sounds to hold like on cat, to that as well cat and ant i mean it, that, that's basically where the wolves are at right, right? is like you know, cats a couple years into the same max that fox is on and they already have got their Suggs or Cunningham and Ant and and now you're you start you're working against this clock a little bit where you're like right okay yeah we did get them on the max but that max is going to be up before they kind of hit their time so even in this like dreamy scenario where say the Kings get Cunningham like it's probably going to take him a couple of years and you know where how does that line up it sounds weird to say how does that line up with Fox's next contract when he hasn't even technically started this one, but I'm just telling you from like experience, like it's a thing like totally. this, 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 this clock, it, it happens here. The, the one last thing I, I feel like the Kings are just like a, could be a team extremely desperate to get one of these top five guys and 
Could you see a world where, you know, I think they have the seventh worst record right now. Let's say they have the seventh pick and the Wolves have the second or third pick. Could you see McNair just like shelling out big time to move up from seven to two? Interesting. Um, I guess I could see it possible because, you know, I think ownership is uh, very involved in Sacramento and very clearly <laughs> pushing for playoffs. Um, yeah. And I think that's what that would be a more, you know, I, it would be a balance right between what I, I believe. Actually, I think that would be a youth movement. Yeah. It pro- well, this is what I was saying. I think it'd be a balance between, you know, what seems to be McNair's idea of getting younger and retooling around Fox and also chasing the playoffs where mm-hmm. it's a more of a immediate youth movement rather than, you know, our youth movement being our pick that we're going to get in a year or two. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and I guess, I you know, just thinking about this off the top of my head, like the, the Kings, like the only way the Wolves trade the pick is if they are bringing in like a 25, 26 year old who is, you know, going to make the Wolves a playoff team next year. Like that's what they trade this top three pick for probably plus a future, you know, asset or something. Right. Like, and like, what, it, like the Kings don't really have that, no. you know? I mean, it's not going to be Fox. So, I mean, is it, yeah. is it Halliburton? I mean, Wolves front office loved Halliburton. Yeah. So let's just say, okay, how about this? Would you trade oh, seven and Halliburton for, for two? I hate you. Um, I mean, I don't feel like that. I I don't care here. People, I I always whenever I thought like a fake trade, people are like, Whoa! I'm like, I don't care. I'm just like, no, it, it's a, it's an interesting hypothetical for sure. I mean, at some point I, you got if you're I McNair, you got so. it. Yeah, because if if McNair is like what you have described and what I have agreed with, where you're like, all right, Hal Burton is gonna be a good starter in the league, but. I personally think when you were like, oh, I think I could maybe see Halliburton being the 1B, I'm, I don't. I just like, I don't think yep. that's what's going to happen. And so if that's if that's a read on the situation, if you're the Kings, like, I mean, you kind of got to like pay up to, to go get that stuff. What, the cap sheet stack, like what, what's your other path to like doing it? And, and maybe from the Wolves perspective, does that make sense? Like, do you pass on Cunningham to take... Halliburton, like Halliburton and probably not, so, right? Like I don't know, but but Halliburton kind of makes sense. Like I know Halliburton isn't the twenty six year old, but like he is. He's impactful right now. The, he's he's that's like the, that's the whole point of the like hypothetical twenty six year old is. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a huge Halliburton guy, so it's like I I think he, I I had him really low in my pre-draft thing, and, and you know how you know what that's like when it's like a guy you don't like, yeah. you you gotta you hang out to grudges. Um, but I I I'm, I like I'd like to think I could let some of that go. I just he I don't know how much he would like fix here. He would improve the Wolves next year. We already know he's like a starting caliber player in the league, and odds are like Evan Mobley or Cade Cunningham or Jalen Suggs are not going to be a starting caliber player in the league for a couple of years. Like that's just how rookies more often than not work, even top three picks. So you, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. You think ants starting caliber at this point? No, no. I mean, maybe these last 
Yeah, I do. I, I should say like these last twenty. Yeah, currently, mm-hmm. yes. Was his season a starting caliber? Like, no, on a playoff team. No, I actually, this is interesting. Uh, so when I, I told you I did that like Halliburton versus Ant thing, mm-hmm. um, after pot of the pod on it after the first time the Wolves played the Kings, and and I texted a uh, league executive I know, and I said how many. How many GMs would take Halliburton over Edwards right now if we redrafted today? And he said five. And and I was like, at first I was like, oh, I don't know, bother me, you gotta take the higher ups I got. But that makes sense, right? Like if I was the Clippers today and I like had to choose, I gotta take Halliburton. It's it's the it's the whole like plug in like Halliburton's gonna for sure play in the Clippers rotation. Is Anthony Edwards gonna play in right. the Clippers playoff rotation? I think if the Warriors no, knew that Clay wasn't there, it might take Halliburton over Wiseman. I for for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's yeah, I mean, so it's weird. It's just the classic like bet on future upside versus, you know, the known of a guy who's going to be a, a starting caliber player. And I, I think like it just comes down to what's what's your team context? Do you suck like the Kings and the Wolves? Well, and then you, you need want you need high end talent, right? Like and, and so you have to take those risks sometimes. Right. It's just the Wolves did take that risk. And Ant, you know, again, could you know could make it, but the, the I mean, the revisionist history of it not being Lamello is just that's a whole yeah. You know, that's a you know, a whole a whole You were all, you were all on board with that from what I remember too. I was I was I was a big I mean, but like if I'm being honest, like I was very I had Lamelo one, but I did not have Lamelo one with a bullet. I had Lamelo one A and Ant one B, like, and then when I applied that to the Wolves, I was like, before the draft, I said, I would take Lamelo. I will not be, you know, upset with it. You know, I wouldn't think that I won't write that it's a bad pick if it's the other. Like I would have wrote like Wiseman. I've been like that's a different, you know, that's a different tier. That's what I would have said at the time, or I did say at the time, you know. So it's. Now it is. I mean, it's clear. Like it, it, it's it's clear that Lamelo is way better than Halliburton too. Like it's just this is these are gambles, and it's you no, know, it's the way it played out. Apparently, Kirsten Rosas today told ESPN that they believe they have like time. I think I don't remember what the exact quote was, but it's like time will prove that we have the best player from this class. The first, I think it was like the first two months of a rookie season don't are not indicative of what the future is. So it's like in so many words, yeah, Lamelo has been nice here at the beginning, but Ant is going to be the superstar of the class. I'm like, Ooh, I mean, yeah, maybe, I mean, hopefully for, for Minnesota's sake, it could be that, that's what, that's why the draft's fascinating, right? Is this, that's, that's the game we play. It's what, a gamble. What do you call the core right now? The long-term of the core. Wars? Yeah. Um, well, we always do this thing where we step where, when it's the team we cover, we make it like five people, right? <laughs> like you throw like Jade McDaniels in there. Yeah, Malik McLaughlin's um, in it for yeah. some reason. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, uh, I, I think what the, the roster has constructed, it's Cat, D'Lo and Ant. And I mean, D'Lo, like he, by default of his contract, that's just, you know, he, he is on this team, you know, if it were, if you were making $15 million a year, now you can, you're like, oh, kind of around more, or he would be a positive value on that contract, I think. Now you can talk about him in trade stuff. It's just how many times, like how many ways can you really, you know, slice that up? So, so then, you know, the, 
your non-core pieces are Malik Beasley, who you could intrigue a team. It's kind of it's kind of like Buddy Heald, right? Like you could convince a team that he would be really helpful on on their like title contention. Um, Jade McDaniel's is is moving himself into that, but I you know need to check myself, and that's where you start doing the thing where you like like a core needs to be tight, like a core needs to be tight. It's yeah. the same thing. Like Harrison Barnes can't be the king part of the Kings. I really court. want to put Robert right. Woodard in the core. Let me tell you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's because we have problems. Yeah, we have, we have problems. I have so, to hold on to I something. Yeah, it's it's the it's the nature of covering the Kings and the Wolves is we we convince ourselves of of stupid stupid things, but that's that's just survival. I think the next stupid thing I'm going to convince myself of is Scotty Barnes at six, and that he's not going to be able to do anything on offense, so he's not going to be impactful <laughs> on defense in the slightest. And it'll be great. See, you're you're already you're you're well. You'll come back on the pod. We'll talk closer to the draft. I already like have anxiety about the this like the season's going to end. I'm going to want oh, yeah. to take like a couple weeks off, and then it's going to literally be. I I mean it, less than a month to the lottery. Just be a stressful night for you. I mean, me too, not, but it, well, not in the same way. Gerson Rosas, right? Gerson Rosas is it's a different it's a different level of stress. We we abide, you know, like through the dysfunction. The fans are still there, the media is still there, and it doesn't matter if they suck. We still have we can still right. we can still have podcasts. It doesn't there's no there's no there's no difference. <laughs> Uh, thank you for, um, I guess it's not as late where you are. It's almost 1 a.m. here in, in Minneapolis. I hate, like, I hate when the Wolves play on the West Coast. I hate when they play the Kings, the Lakers. I actually kind of like when they play the Kings because it feels like they should beat them. But the Lakers and Clippers, it's like 9.30 p.m. start. Like, literally shoot me in the head. They're going to get blown out by yep. 30, and I have to do a podcast. And after. you're going to watch all of it, too. It's the sad part, huh? Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, you guys could follow Brendan on Twitter at Brendan Nunez MBA. Plug uh, plug Kings Herald and Kings Pulse. Tell them, tell people what you're doing there. I mean, these are Wolves fans, so they like dysfunctional things. It's true. It's true. This is the target audience right here. Um, <laughs> yeah, KingsHerald.com. There's a bunch of great work going on there. I, I know we got a bunch of draft uh, profiles that'll go up there at some point too. That I'm sure will relate to minnesota and then yeah blue wire family a king's pulse podcast uh uploading there a couple times a week as well um yeah dang i appreciate you having me on man i think you do a great job with this pod by the way give you a quick compliment on here i'm a big fan of uh work that you do and uh do a great job keeping it we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's uh, evergreen content that I think is pretty relatable to the rest of the league, too. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. And, and Brendan really is, is one of uh, my favorite people to talk to over the draft. So even if you don't give a shit about the Kings, um, still follow him and we will we'll dig into this draft stuff. I'm actually, I have anxiety about it, but I'm also excited about, you know, that that is the lottery. It is the, and, and the draft. It's it. I, I dug into it for the first year. I told you about this. Like I dug into it for the first time, like hard this past year. And now yeah, I'm, same. Like, I'm never not going to be able to do it again. It's uh, yeah, same here. It's a, it's a fascinating activity. All right, Brennan, thanks again for doing it, man. Um, listeners, I will be back after when's the next Wolves game. Today's Wednesday, Saturday, Saturday night. I think actually I'll be on with Britt. Um, he's writing something tomorrow. And so I think Friday I'll be on with Britt. And then Saturday I will be back to talk to you after whoever, whoever it is they play. Really good prep here on my end. I'll talk to you then. Thanks again, Brendan. Till then, peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.